0: The first question, how can you maintain a joyous mind if you need to let go of everything? This morning I was quite impressed by what Lee talked about. Imagine, uh, we're not imprisoned, we're not in hospital bed, Uh, we're not sick. Um, Are we not fortunate? We're eating in here. So think about it this way, we are not hospitalized, we are not so terribly sick that we can't come to the temple and uh, we're relatively healthy and right now there's no other problems that will attract our attention so that we can come to the temple, we still can come to the temple and we're not in jail, we're not in psychiatric ward we're not abused by a drunken father right now, are you not joyful right now? are you right now at this present moment, the here and the now what is your mind thinking about? Is your mind thinking about your father who abused you? Or is your mind thinking about your wife who abandoned you? Is your mind thinking about the bankruptcy procedures you've gone through yesterday? Or is your mind thinking about if you're thinking about the past and all those, even if your body is here, you're not at peace. Because you carry all these garbages with you all the time. Your past. If you really carry all these garbages, I'll give you a gift, a visualized gift. I'll give you a garbage bag. I can actually give you a a real one. I'll give you a garbage bag, and you take it home. And when you meditate, you visualize this way. I'm dumping all my mental garbages into that bag that that monk gave me. And I'm going to tie it up, seal it up with the plastic, I'm going to throw it out at my backyard. I don't want it. But this is not what you're doing. You always carry your garbage with you, no matter where you go. Your hatred, your depression, your anxiety, your jealousy, your anger, your greediness, you always carry them. And it said, how can you maintain, well, just to say some more about what Lee was talking about, we're not in the hospital. And some people have been hospitalized for months. Dripping and dripping and dripping. That lunch is still the dripping of that bottle. A dripping of uh, in the dinner time, lunch time. What they, what they eat actually is bottles of liquid dripping into the veins for months. And we're not in poverty. We're not in a, in, in a germicide war. Are we not joyful that way? Do you appreciate all of this? Or you only appreciate when you lost it? Right now, I'm okay. You're okay. So at this present moment, why do you hang on to the past? Why do you attach to the past? And some people say, no, I never think about the past. I never think about them. But I worry about the future. What am I going to do? All these worries, and do you know that all these sufferings that we have now, the worries about the future, uh, attachment to the past, forgetting about the present? Because you, you don't have a present. Your present is in depression. Your present is mental afflictions. Your present is complaining. Your present is not appreciated by what you've got. So how can you maintain a joyous mind? You live now. Um, when I was in Japan, I went to a, a meditation temple, meditation hall. And r- they have a smaller garden in front of the meditation hall, like what we've got in here too. Um, and they, they have a few signboards saying, watch, watch close to your feet at your feet. Watch your feet. Watch your footsteps. So uh, there was a layman who came with me and he said, why do they have this sign on? Uh, do they have a, a lot of dogs pooling all over the place? <laughs> watch your steps. Watch your, watch, your, watch your steps. Watch your step means, what are you doing? You're walking now in the present moment. Every step counts. You live a- at the present here and now, you maintain that peace of mind, no attachment, no past, no future, just maintain that peace of mind now. But it's difficult. So in meditation we say we have to use the technique to not our, to not let our mind wander to the past and uh, rooming into the future. What do we do? We create an object of concentration so that the monkeying mind that we have uh, does not have a lot of branches to climb into. All these mental afflictions are branches. And we only have one. We don't have any more of these branches. We, don't, we only have that one tree. No more branches. That one object of attention, what do we use? We said, concentrate at the nose tip. The breathing in and the breathing out. I'm now not anywhere. I'm not thinking about the past, nothing about the future. I'm not attaching to anything. I'm now watching my breath in and out, in and out. In other words, I am directing all this wandering thoughts, monkeying mind that gets me into trouble into just one single thought of concentration. And that is my anapanasati, my, my, my breath. And if you train that all the time, just to train that all the time, what would happen? Wonder comes. You know, why want this. Come, what? What? What's? What's our problems? Our problems if we cannot control our own mind. When you tell your mind to concentrate in that one single object of concentration, and your mind follow, your mind is under your grip control. Then you know yourself. You won't let it go astray. The meditation. This is what. In, Buddha, in the Buddhist teaching called Samatha. The Thai, Thailand Theravada, called it Samadhi. And if you follow the righteous path, the right path, then you're right on to enlightenment. Because you can tell your mind what to do. Whatever the mind can conceive, the mind can do. The mind wants to be a Buddha. It can be a Buddha. The mind, but you have to the, be the master of it though. Some people say, Why do you still create a master and slave relationship in your mind? There shouldn't be a my, my master and slave relationship. You are one, you created it yourself. So, how can you maintain a joyous mind if you need to let go of everything? I've just answered the first part of the questions. How can you maintain a joyous mind in your present moment? You do it by Samadhi. Now I'm answering the second part of the question. If you need to let go of everything, you are implying that if you let go of everything, you don't have a joyous mind. You're implying that you want to get everything. Is that what you call joy? So what you're saying is, if I let go of everything, I don't have any joy. Only when I get everything, that I have joy. you a tyranny of materials. It wouldn't come true for you. And no matter how, how hard you try, your mind is insatiable. You're, when you become a mon, one million dollar man, you want to get three millions. If you have three million dollars, you want to get four, five, six, seven. If you have a hundred million, you're worrying about how to keep the money in order that it won't be eroded by inflation. You're worrying about your kids, who will not be able to, to, to succeed your estates and, and, and squander your money away. You have a lot of worries. The time comes when you have a lot of materials, not when you throw them away. I'm not telling you to throw, your, throw all these things away at home, though, but if you, you're, what you're implying is, if you need to let go of everything, you're not joyful. You want to get everything. And then another guy said, oh no, I don't want material, I want to get good health. I want to just be happy. I, I don't necessarily need material, yeah? You don't need necessarily need material. But if you want to be happy, you have to define what is happiness. What, what do we mean by happiness? To a person who has been sick for a number of years, recovery is his happiness. To a mom uh, whose son abandoned her, the return of her son is happiness. What is happiness? You've got to define it. To a student who failed in most courses, getting into UBC, um, you know, uh, being accepted is happiness. But what is happiness? Happiness is different to different pe- per- people, you know. But if we can have one common definition, is peace of mind. It does not matter what you have or what you don't have. If you don't have peace of mind, how can you be happy? Happiness is a feeling. It's, it's, it's not material. That peace of mind can only be attained if you know it. If you know your, your mind. If you know what is peace. If you know how to get, if you know how to arrive at that peace of mind, not saying to get it, there's nothing to be obtained. Why is there nothing to be obtained? You're just simply returning to that peacefulness. Do you know what I mean? In originality, you have that peacefulness. Some people may not understand this. How come originally I have that peacefulness? Assuming I'm sitting right here right now. I'm not thinking of anything else. I feel very peaceful, very, very peaceful. And then suddenly there was a guy coming in, and he said, hey monk, what are you doing there? Are you sleeping? Why are you disturbing me? I'm giving a lecture, get out. Do I have peace of mind? Just one minute ago I had that peace of mind, and another second, my mind is gone. So originally, when originally that means if I can maintain this continuous, eternal thought of peace, then it's enlightenment, but it's impossible if you can keep that peace of mind here and now at the present moment. Then you have happiness. You always have a joyous mind. When you, when you walk into the, into the garden, do you see that loving Buddha? And what does he say? Always maintain a joyous mind. There's a lot of philosophy in it. Next question. There's a Chinese word, Rū Lai, uh, Tadagata in the Sanskrit word, Tadagata, Rū Lai. Does awakening or enlightenment emphasize what is likely to come? If you are awakened and you are enlightened, you don't worry about what is to come. When you are enlightened, there's nothing to be obtained. Why do you still want to obtain something? If there's something that you, you want to obtain, your enlightenment is tainted. It's not pure. It's not called enlightenment. How can you say, I'm enlightened, but I'm still greedy for something? <laughs> if a person dies and reincarnated in an animal, for example, a dog, How does a dog try to improve itself so it could get out of the animal realm to uh, be a better one? In the the human realm, we have a good chance. What chance does an animal have? You must be an animal lover because you like to know what happened to your dog. The other day, somebody told me that in Korea, in a Korean temple, in Southern Korea, uh, there was a maybe there still is, a cat um, who's always participating in meditation and in, in ceremony. And that cat is always on the pet, on, on the on meditation, um, you know, the, the pet, and with both hands this way, like crossing hands, and always sit there, lying there, and that cat is watching the Buddha statue in front. And when you remove it, it comes back again. When you remove it, it comes back, back again. It be, it, the, the cat can sit there for four or five hours, just um, uh, adoring the, 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 the images of the Buddha. And people, it's this, that's been for a number of years. And it attracts a lot of tourists over to that temple. Uh, that cat who knows how to prostrate to a Buddha statue, that cat who knows how to, in a certain way, we can say, meditate, meditation. Um, and some tourists, with the permission of the abbot, uh, wanted to give the cat, say, a, a, a try to, to, test, to t- test the cat out, gave him a Kentucky fry. <laughs> and Kentucky fry. The, the cat is it's vegetarian. Yes. The cat does not eat any meat. He's eating the, the, the abbot's food. What, what, what actually happened is, at lunchtime, the abbot is eating, and whatever remains on the table, the, the, the abbot just put it out to the cat, and the cat will be eating it. And when the cat is eating, sometimes tear drops roll down the cat's eyes. It, it, a sign of appreciation. And it's all like that for many, many years. So the tourists check them out by giving them uh, a take the cat out with, with, with the permission of the abbot and with the help of a monk and put him on a, on a stool and actually give the cat. Kentucky Fried Chicken and, and some fish too. The cat smells it and walk away. The cat does not want to eat any meat. And that's for many, many years. Now that cat is a very fortunate cat because he I don't know he or she, but let's assume it's a he. He, um, he had make sure. Uh, causes, he had a lot of conditions that make himself to be close to a temple, to be close to a meditation group to be living in a temple, in other words that cat must have created some karma before that make him a cat, and at the same time that make him a cat to be living in a temple, that make him a cat to be able to meditate with the other meditators it's causality, conditions so if the, if the, if, if the a person reincarnate into an animal, a dog, it depends on what kind of conditions have been made by himself. If he say, I'm just, I'm just giving the example. A man is always coming to the temple, for example, and he's always going around and he's always sometimes he's prostrating and is following chanting and. And he really liked it. Every time he go to the temple, he's so peaceful. And he look at the Buddha statue and he feels so happy. Um, he has a lot of mental afflictions. But when he come to the temple, the tranquility of the temple, the serenity really attracts him. And he feels very peaceful. For that, for, for that reason, every month he comes to the temple and enjoys his time. And even uh, one time uh, in front of the Buddha, I'm just, this is just an example, not in real case. And, oh, if I'm born again, I want to be born into a temple. I want to be able to... To, to learn how to do or to worship. Maybe he had made that vow in front of the Buddhist statue, And then in his daily life, he also cultivated causes that make him to go into animal realm. He's been killing, he's been fishing, he's been hunting, and he's been committing sexual misconduct. And all this karma ended up at the time of death that he rolled into the animal realm to be a cat, to be a dog. But all these other causes and conditions that make him be close to the temple, living in the temple, also come true. So he was born in Richmond. He was born on number five road, or number four <laughs> road. And his master always comes to the temple and bring him along. Because he already has cultivated those causes. So you are the creator of your own destiny, not God. You created all these conditions. So you must be careful in creating wholesome conditions. Don't create any unwholesome conditions. You must not do things that you shouldn't be doing. You think you can get away with it? I, I commit sexual misconduct. Nobody knows about it. Even my wife does not know about it. And you know about it? You think nobody knows about it? The law of causality knows. The law of karma knows. So, if you want your dog, if you want, if you want a dog to be good, uh, what chance has he have? Well, if you really love the dog, why don't you create a chance for him, bring him to the temple? I have layman who brought his dog to the temple to take the three refugees. The master actually kneel down with the dog and make the three prostrations and take the three refugees under the Buddha in a ceremony. Can you be that kind of master? Cultivating causes so that your pet will be reborn in a good ram next time. That is even better than buying catty food for him. Next question, if attachment is a pollutant, how about attachment to our family, kids and parents? We have it in our nature. How can we get rid of it? And should we get rid of it? If attachment, what you're seeing is attachment to a family, to love. Love is like the water. It floats a boat. It can also sink the boat. It depends on how you do it. If you spoil the kid with love, you're killing the kid, indirectly. First of all, let's put put aside this religious concept of love. Do you know what love is? And some people say, love, I love my wife. I also have a girlfriend. (laughs) Do you call it love? So you really have to know about love. As I said, when I first started these questions, love is like water. It is so tenderly uh, in appearance, but it's so horrendous in nature. It can kill you. It depends on how you handle it. I'm not talking about the religious concept. I'm talking about in daily life. Do you know love? Love between a husband and wife, love between a mom and and her and her children. Do you spoil her children, or well, you actually you really love the children by disciplining, by actually giving an example? So you gotta know what love is before you answer. Before I answer this question for you, but put aside that I'm assuming you know it. I'm assuming you know what love is. Um, Why do we all have to come back into a family? There's always some unfinished businesses among the members, members of the family. Why do we meet again in this life? There's got to be a reason. There's some unfinished business to do. And how do you, what kind of unfinished business? You either have to pay the debt, or he owes you, he has to pay you back if he pays you back it's okay to you he make all the money you're enjoying it but if you pay her back she wants a lot more and you love your wife but your wife always want luxuries and you can't afford it you've been struggling struggling to get luxuries for her and you call it love it's not she's not satisfied and you're in agony and You are still attached to it because you haven't learned the Buddhist teaching. You haven't learned how to detach it. You're still attached to it. You're so agonized by it. On the one hand, you can't satisfy her. On the other hand, you know it's not right because you've been trying your best to earn as much money as you can. You can't make it. You're caught in between. So what do you do? In the family, the always come with unfinished business is either emotional debt. You have... It does not have to be monetary. Sometimes it's emotional. They don't have any money problem. But they fight all the time. They quarrel all the time. They don't know why. And there's always another intricate third relationship that enters into into all this ordeal of, of, of loving each other. This is so intricate, so complicated. We all live in a loophole of unfinished business, paying, repaying, getting even, getting killed and be killed. Let's get away from all these. We go to nirvana. Don't create any karma that will put you in that picture, in that picture of fulfilling unfinished deals that you have to do clean up all your debts before you go. Try to have a clean general ledger. If your general ledger is not balanced, the auditor is not going to give you a clean opinion. Because your your, your ledger is not balanced. You're in debt. I almost like to get into the principles of accounting, course 101. That's not my subject. Next question. Thank you for the opportunity to ask questions. Can you please tell us about the female figures we see represented about the temple? What female figures? You mean the statues, female figures? And it's not female. How? how uh, why? Why do you see this as female? There are some female figures, like in the pond. The pond, uh, I will locate this for a female figure, but I will locate this for uh, Appears sometimes in female and sometimes in male. Um, it appears in 32 forms. Sometimes it's an old man, sometimes it's a young man, sometimes even as a dog to enlighten another dog. A Buddhist sattvat is always on his or her way to enlighten sentient beings who are suffering. Go to a variety of forms. It's just that like we go into different countries to help, so, to poor countries. Some people go to poor countries, some people go to rich countries to help. So they appear in a variety of forms, not just in female or, or in male. Sometimes they, are, they appear in a ferocious form. You see the four figures with the, with the salt, with a with with knife? You know, with the four figures? They appear in ferocious, uh, uh, authoritative form. It's because they want to exercise the power to... To make you a better person. And sometimes she'd appear in a very compassionate female, tenderly looking, guardian angel form. Because you like guardian angels. It's easier to talk to you if she is a guardian angel. You don't like to talk to a ferocious man who appears like an ugly guy, you know, security guard with, you know, muscular arms. You know, you don't like that. You like a tender-looking, you like tender loving care. So he appears as a female. So, it appears in many many forms, not just in, in female forms. What can we do as new students outside of Saturday meditation, Dharma talks? What can we do at home? Well, at home, you used to have your own lesson. You used to have maybe uh, you assign um, half an hour or 45 minutes to meditation. You do your meditation, Sati as what we're doing now. And you also assign some time for chanting. Uh, chanting the Mentor of Compassion, or chanting the name of Avalokiteshvara Bodhisattva, you have some of your own lessons to do. Um, people say, why do, I have, why do I have to chant? I only believe in understanding the philosophy of it. Chanting is superstitious. Some people say, well, why do I have to chant? I mean, uh, I understand the concept, I understand the philosophy. Isn't that what's more important? Why do I have to You know, hit the wooden fish and do this post trading. Why do we have to do that? You need to chant the name. You need to chant a mantra because you need the communication. Um, Buddha and Bodhisattvas are in a different level of existence. Um, We are in the desire realm. The, The realm, we call it the Kamadatu, Ram, the world with desires. There are also worlds above us, world without desires, but let's don't talk about them. Those are people, another kind of sentient beings, but we are in a world of desire. World, we are living in a world of desires. Living in a world of desires, we have our own karma that brought us here. So we can easily, in, in this world of desires, there are six reincarnations. There are animals, there are ghosts, and they are humans, and there are also others, six paths. I'm just giving examples uh, so that I can finish this question. We interact with dogs because we can see them. Their karma are more or less the same as ours. We are better. We have better karma. We are humans and the animals. We have better karma. And um, ghosts, sometimes we see ghosts. There are people who see ghosts. It's not surprising that I've met a, quite a few people who sometimes they see ghosts. I saw, I saw. I, I can give you many stories that I saw a ghost. Uh, one of the stories I can tell you. When I was in Hong Kong, that's about seven years ago, I was walking in, uh, in Kowloon and I was looking up and I saw a sign on the, on the 16th floor. There was uh, Buddhist books, Buddhist and philosophy books. Big sign. And I, I saw that, oh, maybe I can get up there and browse around and buy some books, Buddhist books, philosophy books. So I went up there. And it's an escalator going up. Not as it's a lift. We call it the lift, an elevator going up. So I pressed 12 and went up there. And it was so quiet. So I went in. It's 12C. So I was looking for that 12A, 12B, 12C. So I looked in there. And I pressed the bell. I pressed the bell. And I wait. It wasn't open. It was pressed again. And all of a sudden, it was slowly open. It was pitch dark inside. And then a face appeared. Who do you want? A face. At that time, I responded so quickly that I didn't know what it is. So I'm I'm coming to to browse and and buy some uh, Buddhist books. Boom. And that face is gone. You get scared? So I, I back off, and I knew something was wrong. So I went, went down there, and I, I mentioned the, um, what I met, the security guy, security, security guard down there. And, uh, and the security guard, what he said is, I don't want to say anything, but don't go, don't go. So I was thinking, how come? There was a lady who came, I didn't notice her, the lower half of her body, I only noticed the top part of the body, and it was a little pale. But he was able to talk to me, but how come so all of a sudden, she disappeared, and it's dark inside. A library or a bookstore shouldn't be all dark at daytime, right? And I actually I found out that they already have gone, that bookstore is already gone. And it's all empty. They don't, they don't have an occupancy yet. They don't, they don't have any, any tenant yet. So, if, we, if, if, if you think that is not a ghost, I don't know what is. So there, there, there are ghosts that people see. Ghosts right? A lot of people see ghosts. Why do we see them? Because our karma and their karma is so close. And there are Buddha and Bodhisattvas, who are way above us, whose karma is purified, we don't get to see them, but we would like to communicate with them so that they can help us out. It's just like when you are sick, you want to do- call Dr. Leong for an appointment because you know Dr. Leong and he is a human. And when you want a lawyer's advice, you go a doctor, accountant's advice, you go to an accountant. But you do, if you want a spiritual advice, who do you go to? You either go to a guru, But wouldn't it be, wouldn't to me, wouldn't it be more spiritual if I directly go to the Bodhisattva and the Buddha? But how do I communicate with him? By chanting the mantra. Om Mani Bami Hong, Om Mani Bami Hong. There's a whole series of communication. That's the frequency that is required for the channel. As I always give the example, metaphorically, you have that radio, mind in you, and you need to tune in the frequency to that grand universal station, we call it Avalokitesvara station and you need the frequency for it, 103.5 CHUM, you know <laughs> Toronto, Vancouver you need that frequency that frequency is the Buddha's name the Bodhisattva's name, the mantra if you keep on tuning the frequency, you'll get it I don't, have to ask you, I don't have to ask you the feeling. If you do that all the time, tune in the frequency all the time, you will know that's the frequency you require. As I can see the smile on Lee's face. he has got the frequency. <laughs> <laughs> you know you, you, you know the frequency. And what is more astonishing is there's so many frequencies. 103.5, 99.9, 102, you, a lot of frequencies. Who do you like? If you like, I like Avalokiteshvara Bodhisattva. then you say, Om Mani Pami Hong, Om Mani Pami Hong. I like, I love Siddhikappa Bodhisattva. then you say, Oh, Namo Siddhikappa Mahamantara Rajaya, Om Zumba Nizumba, Harachara, Mahapasa, Maruta, Amokavatra Vajrasattva, Swaha. That is Siddhikappa's frequency. That is Siddhikappa Bodhisattva's frequency. frequency. Uh, I like. Amitabas frequency. Namitab Amrit Nammu amrita Ayah Swaha. I like um uh the um uh um chanti. Um Namasaptanam samasambuta code nam chale chule Chandi swaha. That's the frequency. I like tara. Oh, uh, om, Tara, Tutitara, Tura, Swaha. So many frequencies. Which one do you like? Why do I mention frequencies? Getting back to the question now. Which question? <laughs> outside, oh, Saturday, yeah, outside of meditation, in a Saturday, what do you do? You do your everyday lesson. You chant every day. Don't ignore it. Now you learn it. Oh, money by You You learned something in here. You don't even know about it. You, I've given you. You have given me back. Everything I, we handed to you, we shared it together, and you have giving me back. At home, you don't know about it. You only know it when you have the examinations coming up. When you don't in an examination, you forget about it. Or you're too lazy doing it. You're doubtful of it. Remember what about first mentioned in, 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 in this morning? Doubs. We always have doubt. We always have arrogance, doubt in us. We're doubtful. Would it work for me? You try to tune in the frequency one day, and the next day you forget about it. You don't have that frequency of tuning. You tune it every day, and wonder will come. So that's your lessons. If you don't know how to arrange that lessons, what kind you have, you list it out. Maybe you talk to Lee about it. Can Lee can give, them, give a course like, number one, 9 o'clock, you chant this. You chant this for half an hour. You chant this for 45 minutes and do a meditation for this. It's, it's easy to list it out. But whether you practice it yourself, I don't know. You do? Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's good. How many hours? Every minute of every day. What else is there? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> we try to. We try to, yes. Good. Okay, so we got that answer. Next, final question. Okay. My Christian friend last week wanted to ask if you believe that God created us. If not, who created us? It's it's easy to to think about creation. In our daily thinking we always think that, we habitually think that someone has got to make something. Oh, who, who created this flower? There must be a creator who put it over there. There must be people who put this together. There must be one, someone who put the pot together. We always habitually think of a creator. And it's easier to give an answer as something is created than not giving an answer to it. But let me ask you, who created this? Simple question. Who created this pot of flower? God? Let's not go that far if you if you think that God who created this this flower? And then you sit down and say, okay, let's talk about it. You say, this first of all, I gotta have flowers first. So who buys these flowers? Yeah, Tom buy this flower. And where did he go? He goes to the flower shop and who get all these flowers together? The flowers put it together and who give him the money to buy it. So all these costs you have to trace all these causes, and what part is this? This is a glass pot, porcelain pot, this is a wooden pot. Now, how about the, the, the pedestal on it? The, the, you know, so many things come up to have the appearance of this flower. How do you trace it? If we do a conglomeration of that question, we said we created this plot of flower. But we can trace it to who else is involved. So you are the creator of the world, not God. You. You created your own world, not God. It's easy to give a simple answer to a complicated question. God created this. Now this question, only the logical people who is involved with logic can think it out. Because you always habitually think that, and you always tend to give it simple answer to such a complicated question. God created this. If not, who? Who? You know, it's easy to say it. But this is um, a a philosophical question that requires a lot of thinking, that requires a lot of time for discussion. That can't be handled. If if we handle this question, it takes about five to six hours to do it properly. So we're not going to handle it now in here. Next. Last time I asked about the Tapping of the sticks. Thank you for answering. I need to clarify: what is the multiple tapping outside while we are walking? While we are walking, mean it means hurry up. Don't linger anywhere. Hurry up and keep your thought mindful. Because when you walk out to the washroom, you know what you do? You walk out. You walk out from there on, and, and during the intermission and walk to the washroom. And you 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 meet you meet uh, uh, Janet and say, How are you doing, Janet? Do you enjoy that party last night? Oh, yeah. Oh, the food is terrible, though, right? Yeah, but are you going to go next time? So all your mind is all wandering in this desultory direction. You're not in the meditation anymore. So that bang, 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 don't think of anything else. You're meditating on that one single thought. Bang, 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 that means that's a reminder to you. All right? Next, last question. And why do men go first in line for lunch? <laughs> if I have the women go in line for lunch, you would say, why the men would ask, why do the women have to go first in line? You can never, you can never give a satisfactory answer. Why do, who do you want? Do you want a women? Because this is a, this is a society in Canada, and when a women goes first, well, then the men would say, how come women will go first? <laughs> So why do you have to differentiate man and women? Why do, you, why do you feel unfair if the men go first? And men, why do you feel that superiority complex when you're working first? It's all in your mind, your mental afflictions. Eliminate that. But someone has to go first. And then you say, why did the monk go first? Yeah, maybe we should step back and let you go first. There's gotta be someone who go first. All right, that's all. Thank you. you.